0: In Matthew chapter 2, Romans chapter 14, Matthew chapter 2, I can't believe it's a Christmas Eve service already. Today is the eve of the greatest celebration of the entire year. I think I mentioned it on Wednesday my my, my brother Tim, uh, bless his heart, told me uh, uh, the day before Christmas Eve that the next day was Christmas morning. And I woke up so disappointed once I found out it wasn't Christmas, Tony. What a letdown that was. Uh, I hope I hope my brother Tim is watching this morning and he chokes on his eggnog that he's drinking. Amen. <laughs> Amen. But well, mankind literally waited four thousand years for the arrival of the Messiah. Roughly, Amen. Four thousand years. It was it, Jesus was prophesied about by many prophets and many. Many, many prophecies, Brother Bob, that, that weren't even close, but exact. Yeah. <laughs> it, 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 it was only a virgin birth where the Son of God predicted his place of birth and predicted his lineage, let alone his uh, uh, death, burial, and resurrection. It was only prophesied about exactly. But it wasn't until June 28, 1870... June 28, 1870, that Christmas was declared uh, uh, an official federal holiday in America. Um, There are some that say the celebration of Christmas is taken from pagan roots. Not the birth of Christ in and of itself, but the celebration uh, that you would have at the end of December and the giving of gifts one to another. And much of that could be very true after all there's no record throughout the Bible that that has a day celebrating the birth of Christ specifically they didn't annually celebrate the birth of Christ at least that we read through Scripture the disciples celebrated his resurrection that was the big news that's what really mattered was the resurrection of Christ because he resurrected now all of a sudden hey his death and burial and resurrection that's what gives us salvation not specifically his birth although his birth had to happen of course somebody i heard a preacher say this the other day and it sent off a red flag until i until i meditated upon it and he's right i want to word this correctly Not accepting Christ as your Savior isn't what sends you to hell. Being born a sinner is what sends us to hell. Yes, not accepting Christ, yeah. That's our only way of salvation. But we are born sinners. We're already on our way to hell because we are sinners. Our only hope of salvation is Jesus Christ. But... The early church celebrated the resurrection naturally, as they should have. Um, that's why we still meet on Sundays. We're, we're honoring the, 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 the resurrection of Christ. We're not commanded to, but we meet because we want to. That's the difference. Uh, if we did only what we were commanded to in Scripture, and we completely missed the principles that were given to us, there'd be some sad Christian lives out there. So, if the celebration of Christmas, you might ask, as we know it today, isn't found in Scripture, and the disciples didn't seem to celebrate it all throughout Scripture. They didn't even seem to set a day aside for the birth of Christ to celebrate it, that we're given. Coupled with the fact that some pagan traditions may have been influenced for the time of year that we celebrate, then why do we celebrate Christmas at all? The short answer is because he's worthy. Because he's worthy of our celebration. He's worthy of our worship. For those of you, probably everybody knows who Bill Gaither is. Southern gospel guru, right? All the Southern gospel stations. And if anybody's anybody, they're on the Bill Gaither Not show, but, you know, videos there's things that I don't like about Bill Gaither. I could start writing a list of things that I disagree with him doctrinally on preferences that I have that he does that may not be wrong but I don't like that he does them. There's a whole lot of things that I don't like about Bill Gaither. But you know he wrote because he lives I can face tomorrow. He wrote Beulah land I'm kind of homesick for a country. Because I don't agree 100%, Miss Kathy, with Bill Gaither, does that mean that I can't sing those songs that he wrote? Absolutely not. It means that if the songs that he wrote point to Christ, I can celebrate and sing those songs. I can worship the Lord with those songs. There may be some things in, in, in the Christmas celebration that may have been adopted from a pagan thing or a pagan thing here. But look. If what we're celebrating points to Christ. I can take part in that. I'm not bowing down before a tree. I'm bowing down on my knees before Jesus Christ. The reason for Christmas. No, the early church didn't celebrate Christmas. They celebrated the resurrection. Because that is really the greater miracle. I mean, the, I mean the 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 prophesying your own place of birth and the the lineage that you're coming in and in the time frame I mean like oh that's a miracle miracle in of itself the virgin birth but and that's monumental but to save all of mankind from their sins. That the death, burial, and resurrection of the cross is the greater miracle. And it was in Christians, early Christians, witnessed this. So of course they celebrated that so much the more. It doesn't take away from the birth of Christ. Look at Romans 14.5. It says one man esteemeth one day above another, another esteemeth every day alike. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. He that regardeth the day regardeth it unto the Lord, and he that regardeth not the day to the Lord he doth not regard it. He that eateth, eateth to the Lord, for he giveth God thanks. And he that eateth not to the Lord, he eateth not, and giveth God thanks. For none of us liveth to himself, and no man dieth to himself. That could be a verse that's added to the movie, It's a Wonderful Life. Verse 8. For whether we uh, live, we live unto the Lord, and whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live therefore or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end... Christ both died and rose and revived that he might be Lord, both of the dead and living. We celebrate the resurrection once a week. And I can't think of a better reason to celebrate at least once a year the birth of our Messiah that we had the privilege to say, we're trusting that he's coming, but we can say, hey, he came and we can celebrate it. And we can look back and say, hey, we we know all these things that they didn't know for 4,000 years. What a blessing that is. What a blessing that is. So, yeah. Decorate, put tinsel everywhere, decorate the tree, put lights up. Uh, I mean, have friends over, exchange gifts. He is worthy of our celebration. Jesus is still the answer, Jesus is still the Savior, Jesus is still seeking to save the lost. He was born in a manger. He died on a cross. He resurrected three days later, leading captivity captive, meaning all the souls that were saved before the cross. Amen. He took uh, from the center of the earth up into heaven. And now he reigns in heaven, standing next to the Father, waiting for the day that he's going to call his children home. So yeah, no matter what the world wants to mix into it, I'll celebrate Christmas and I'll say Merry Christmas. And I'll decorate and, I, and, and if the world wants to point to Christ one day of the year, I'll join hand in hand and say, yeah, it's all about Christ. Christ. Brother Jim Vipon, would you open this message in a word of prayer, sir? Matthew chapter 2 verse 1. <clears throat> now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. Why would Herod be troubled? Notice verse 2. There are three points of worship just in that one verse. And that's why Herod was troubled. Look, the the wise men called this, this, this king of kings that they were looking for, the king of the Jews, they called him king of the Jews. They said that he had his very own guiding star and they seek to worship this baby child. Why would that trouble Herod? Because Herod was officially labeled by Rome king of the Jews. And here come these wise men saying, um, we're looking for the king of the Jews. Not you. <laughs> we're looking for the king of the Jews. That's troubling. They were following a guiding star. Um, Herod didn't have a guiding star. This would have troubled him. And these wise men didn't worship Herod. They were worshiping the king that they were looking for that troubled Herod. Herod didn't want anybody else to be worshipped, clearly. We know history tells us that he labeled himself Herod the Great. He wasn't the most humblest of kings. Anybody that knows their history knows that he was a lunatic, narcissist, and, and he would kill his own family, and he did kill his own family, just out of fear that they might want to take his throne. So, he didn't like the wise men coming looking for the king of the Jews. Because, remember, J- Jared, he wasn't even, I say Jared, <laughs> I wish he was here this morning. <laughs> Herod, <laughs> he wasn't, he, he wasn't any rightful king of the Jews. He wasn't a Jew himself. He wasn't. He had no royalty attached to him. Rome just gave him that position, said, here, go be the king of these Jews over here. That's how it happened, and he got a big head over it. But why would Herod the Great, I put that in parentheses, care about what some wise men had to say? The wise men were not bumbling idiots. Me and Rachel watched a movie recently that I thought was going to be better than it was, and... It was a nice little musical. They had some good songs. But why does Hollywood always have to absolutely change everything about the Word of God to try to make it better? We watched this movie, and the wise men in the movie were literally bumbling idiots. They were literally the comedy relief, Brother Jim. The comedy relief in the whole movie was these wise men. I could go on and on. They depicted Mary as anti-tradition, wanted nothing to do with her parents, didn't want to have the the son of God, didn't want to marry Joseph. All these things that the Bible doesn't say, but yet they got to make it like some Disney movie where the children are rebellious. Mom and dad are old fogies. that don't know nothing. That's what the movie portrayed. I could go on and on about that movie. It's a thorn in my side. Why can't we just if you're going to do a, 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 a bible movie well, there's a script right here right. You, you don't have to add and take away right. but yet that's what hollywood does and you say what's well, not a big deal well, it is a big deal because christians don't read their bibles yeah. and the most bible we're going to get is from that movie and we're going to just assume that's what happened where mary marries joseph <laughs> it's a virgin birth right. let me get back to the message amen the wise men were not bumbling idiots. There isn't a lot of information throughout scripture given to us about these wise men, but there is information given to us about these wise men. Look at Esther chapter one verse thirteen. We see them in a few verses we'll, we'll turn to them. Esther chapter one verse thirteen it says then the then the king said to the wise men, which knew the times, for so was the king's manner toward all that. Uh, That new law and judgment. According to the ancient historian, if I can get this right, herodotus probably ruining that. The Magi were a tribe. They were a tribe of people within the larger people called the Medes. They were a hereditary priesthood tribe, somewhat like the Levites in Israel, who were the single tribe from the twelve that carried out the religious ceremonies of Israel. Similarly, of all the tribes within the Medes, the Magi had been selected to function as priests in their pagan rituals. The law of the Medes and the Persians was the code of scientific and religious discipline of the Magi. And, and it was required instruction for anyone wishing to be a monarch in Persia. We see the significance of it. You're in Esther. Look at verse 19. Esther 119. It says, If it please the king, let, let there go a royal commandment from him, and let it be written among the laws of the Persians and the means that it be not altered. These wise men were behind that. Look at Daniel chapter 6, verse 8. Daniel chapter 6, verse 8. We'll look at a couple of scriptures this morning. Daniel chapter 6, verse 8. It says, Now, O king, establish the decree and sign the writing that it be not changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which altereth not. The wise men had an important role in what they said was very important in those kingdoms. Amen. Besides controlling the kingly office, historians tell us that the Magi oversaw the judicial office as well. As in, the royal bench of judges was chosen from the Magi. The Magi were so powerful that historians tell us that no Persian was ever able to become king except under two conditions. He had to master the scientific and religious discipline of the Magi, which is the law of the Medes and Persians. And he had to be approved and crowned by the Magi. That's interesting. In short, the Magi were like kingmakers in that part of the world. And that's adding to the reason why Herod was so scared. Because <laughs> they were looking to crown somebody else king of the Jews. It wasn't three men riding by themselves on camels. We see that all the time. And more than likely, it was men of renown that, were, that probably had an entourage with them. Hundreds, maybe into the thousand or two people that were with them. It probably wasn't three wise men by themselves at all. We can pretty much throw camels out of the equation. It was probably horses, but that's neither here nor there. You say, well, why have, why have the wise men or the three kings, as we often call it in the nativity scene, if there weren't a the nativity? Because it's part of just telling the story of Christmas. We're not saying necessarily that they were there. Amen. So the wise men were a group of very smart men who appoint kings. And you say, so what? Don't forget about Daniel chapter 2, verse 48. Turn there, Daniel chapter 2, verse 48. Then the king made Daniel a great man and gave him many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief of the governors over all the who? Wise men of Babylon. Daniel's in charge of them. How interesting that is. And if Daniel, for a time, was well, head of these wise men, he no doubt told them about the coming Christ, who be king of the Jews from birth and born of a virgin. Daniel would have known his Torah, the Old Testament, the first five books of Scripture, amen. And it could very well be that Daniel taught the Magi the Scriptures concerning the coming king of kings. After all, that was the Magi's job was to appoint kings. Turn to Numbers chapter 24, 17. Numbers 24, 17. Daniel knew the Old Testament. Daniel was in charge of wise men in Babylon. Why were the kings looking for a star? How do they know about the Christ? Well, let's read Numbers 24, 17, a scripture that Daniel would have known. It says, I shall see him, but not now. I shall behold him, but not nigh. There shall come a star out of Jacob, and a, but a, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel, and shall smite the corners of Moab and destroy all the children of Sheth." A scepter is a symbol of kings and royalty. They knew exactly what that meant. We read that today and we're like, I don't know what that means. A it's a symbol of royalty and kingship. And isn't it interesting The Old Testament prophecy of the Messiah also mentions a star coming out of, the, out of Jacob at the same time. as talking about royalty coming out of Israel. Right at the same time, just before the birth of Christ was the time that the Magi would have been looking for a king. Herod was in the last stages of his life holding the title of king of the Jews. But the Magi clearly Weren't looking for just any king. They were looking for the king of kings. We can look at what this Herodotus mentioned in, throughout Scripture, and we can look at that as history. We can't dogmatically rest upon it as Bible. We only dogmatically rest upon and believe in the doctrine of the word of God in the history of the word of God because it's perfect and inerrant. Amen. God has preserved it for us. But the Magi, and we can stand on this, knew exactly who Jesus was, what he represented, and what he was there for, for mankind. The scriptures were all there, even, now we have the Old Testament, but they had had so much of the Old Testament during those, but they had all the Old Testament by the time of Christ. And the scripture was there foretelling of the coming Messiah all over the place. We could spend service after service going through all the prophecies foretelling of the coming Messiah. And the world knew about that, but they didn't care. Kind of sounds like modern day times. There's a whole Bible, Old and New Testament, foretelling of the coming Messiah that will one day come at a rapture. There will be a judgment. And the world knows about these scriptures, but they don't really care. Look at Matthew chapter 2, verse 4. And when he had gathered all the chief priests, this is Herod now, when we had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet. And now Bethlehem and the land of Judah are not the least among the princes of Judah, but out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. Of course, they're quoting Micah chapter 2, or chapter 5, verse 2. But this shows that the world knew the word of God. They knew the word of God. They knew what the prophecy said, but they didn't care. They had the prophecies right in front of them, yet they had no interest to believe. You can know the scriptures just like Herod's chief priests and scribes. But knowing scripture is not believing. There are, there are, um men who i believe if they're telling the truth have read the bible cover to cover they don't believe in christ you you know this bible will not speak to you unless you are a born again believer and if you're not born again that's why when you read it it just doesn't you, you can get a lot from it oh you can get some good wisdom from proverbs and you can understand a lot of history brother bob reading the, through the Gospels and the Old Testament, and you can see, uh, really, the, the, the whole the whole Bible is pointing to Christ. Old Testament is is, is the history, uh, bringing in the lineage of Christ and creation, and then all the Old Testament pointing back to Christ. But just because you know facts about the Bible doesn't make you a born-again believer. Reading the Bible and doing, I don't know, good things or showing up to a church service does not grant you a place in heaven. It doesn't grant you a seat at the table with Christ for eternity. So Herod brought all the smartest people he could together and said, what, what can you tell me about this king of kings? And they said, oh yeah, well the prophecies say this and prophecies say that. Verse 7, then Herod, when he had privily called the wise men, inquired of them diligently. What time the star appeared? And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child. And when ye have found him, bring me word again that I may come and worship him also. When they had heard the king, they departed. And lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them, till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. When they were coming to the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. Notice that they're not in the manger scene. Scripture says when the wise men came, the child was in the house. Notice it doesn't say the baby or the newborn. It's the young child at this point. The wise men were not in the manger scene. <laughs> they just weren't. They are absolutely uh, part of the story of Christ. Amen. They brought him gold. Isn't that interesting that Scripture tells us what they brought him? Why, why would I care 2,000 years later when somebody brought somebody else? Unless the writer knew that it mattered. The, the, the word of God isn't just, eh, just some things that put together so we could. No, no. God gave us exactly not only what we need to know, but everything we'll want to know. And, well, we want to know so much more. But everything we need to know is right here. Everything that God wants us to know is right here. The gold that they brought him that represents kingship authority They brought him frankincense, which represents his priestly position. They brought him myrrh, which represented the sacrifice that he would one day give of himself. Symbolism matters. We live in a culture today where we don't care about, the, 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 we don't care about nothing. We don't care about honoring the Lord. We don't care about uh, how we present ourselves, wherever we're going. Watch Judge Judy. They wear sweats and a t-shirt in the courtroom. We care, we live in a world where culture and society says, "And eh, symbolism, who cares?" The wise men believed the scriptures even when the world didn't. The wise men looked for a, a, a divine direction even when the world didn't. The wise men worshiped even when the world didn't. And thankfully, the wise men were obedient to the word of God, even the world, when the world isn't. Look at verse 12, Matthew 2, 12. And being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country another way. Do you guys realize that their obedience to the word of God saved the life of Christ? You might say, so what? Well, if you believe the scriptures like you should if you look for divine direction like you should, if you worshiped like you should, if if we were obedient like we should be, then think about all the people that we could save by pointing them to Christ. It ought not be I'm saved. Thank God I'm saved and I don't care about a lost and dying world. I'm just going to live my best life now like a lot of mainstream preachers want you to believe. That is anti Christ, anti biblical. It is not our best life now. But Satan loves quotes and sayings like that because it draws us away from pointing to Christ. And hence, we just want to live our best lives now, whatever makes us comfortable, whatever is convenient for us. It ought to be I am saved, I'm a born again believer, and I have this responsibility to worship. I have a responsibility to be obedient to the Word of God. I have a responsibility to, put, to, to, to point to the divine Christ child. To be looking for divine direction. John 3.16, I hope you're already there. It says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. That's Jesus. That whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. I don't care what cult... What circle, what denomination says that, that, that Christ only came for a certain amount of people? They are wrong biblically, no matter how you roll the dice. God sent His Son to die for the sins of the entire world. We are all sinners, and that's who Christ died for. And that's why Christ came to die, and the wise men knew it. Christ died for Herod. Christ died. He came for those chief priests. Christ died for the Magi and Mary and Joseph. Christ died for you and for me. And, and as much as we love John 3:16, we can hold to the, 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 to, the, to the fact, to, to the promise of that. But look at John 3:17 that often gets forgotten. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved. The purpose of Christ to come isn't to say like so many bitter atheists might say that I've heard them tell me this is just a book of rules and this is a book of this. this." God didn't come to condemn the world. Although in our rebellious heart we want to We want to arch our backs towards it because we don't want it controlling us. But God came to save the world. And that started with, well, it started before the foundation of the world began. But we see it on earth as it's starting in the manger, the the Messiah. I mean, church, imagine 4,000 years waiting for a Messiah. 4,000 years. Then he came in a lowly manger. Just Brother John was talking about it. We, it was probably a nasty place where the animals were. It probably, it probably didn't even have nice, brand new straw like we have. It was not a glorious thing. There was no pomp. The, the wise men weren't even there. Kings weren't even there. It wasn't. No, it was just a quiet night in Bethlehem in a nasty, uh, a foul-smelling place where a bunch of animals are because there was no place for them. It was them and lowly shepherds who the world didn't care nothing about enjoying the majesty of the Messiah. Their minds being blown on what was happening, what God was doing for mankind, how awesome it was, yet there was a whole world that didn't really care because they don't care about the scriptures that God gave us. Somebody once said, I saw it on a YouTube video, somebody was witnessing on an airplane and uh, (laughs) somebody said to him, well, if God's real, why didn't he just write it in a book so we can understand what he wants? God gave us his word. Why don't we read it? I've had a couple people this week give me sheets, showing all the check marks of all the chapters where they have read scripture this year in this church. What a blessing that is. It only takes about 15 minutes a day to read through scripture in a year. That's not the end of the world. We spend more time uh, uh, flipping through commercials Yeah, we can't find time for the Word of God. Church, that's the Christmas story. The the, the meaning of why we celebrate Christmas, regardless of the time of year, what people have added to it. We celebrate Christmas because of what Christ did for us. Sure, other things are kind of added to it. The world can celebrate Christmas how they want to. But for me and my house, we're going to celebrate it for why we celebrate Christmas biblically, because it is the coming Christ. And that is first and foremost, and it should be in every Christian home. We've heard it said, and we hear it this time every year, but it's still true. Wise men still seek Jesus. This isn't some fairy tale. We tell our children about the Tooth Fairy. We tell them about Frosty the Snowman. We tell them about, I don't know, Oscar the Grouch. We tell them about Santa Claus. We tell them about whatever else the Easter Bunny. I don't know what, if I said that already. And then they get to a certain age, and we say, "Oh yeah, um, those aren't real, but you know what? God's real, though." Right. Church, it's all about Christ. It always has been since before the foundation of the world. And it will be when this world is dead and gone as we know it. Amen. The wonderful thing is, is we get to praise him for all of eternity. I can't even imagine what the new earth is going to be like, what new Jerusalem is going to be like. We had descriptions of it in Revelation 20, I think. New Jerusalem coming down. We get to see these things, partake in these things. We will not be just a little lower than the angels, but far above them. God. I can't even fathom that. Yeah. We get all that. Because Christ came to be born in a manger, to die a cruel death on a cross, be raised again three days later, yeah. taking captivity captive. Woo! Yeah. That gets to be us one day, Amen. I hope you're saved if you're not saved then the christmas celebration here and there is as close as you'll ever get to anything godly amen let's close in a word of prayer dear lord i pray that you move in the next few moments of invitation lord there's anybody here that has never